Second Kings chapter number 20. And uh, what a blessing to be in the house of God. Thank you to our visitors for being here. Thank you to our home folk for being here. What a blessing to be here today. Isn't it good? This is the day the Lord hath made. Hey, I will rejoice and be glad in it. What a blessed day this is to get to gather in the house of God. we got beautiful weather. But, you know, even, even if it was raining, he'd still be good. And uh, all, all my needs are met. God's people have been so good to me. But even if I didn't have a, a single crumb in the pantry, God would have still been good. And I praise the Lord for what He's done in my family, my wife, my children, and, and I rejoice in that. But, you know, even if it had all fallen apart, God would still be good. I'm glad we have a good God, aren't you? His goodness surpasses our experiences, so much so that His goodness defines our experiences. Uh, you say, preacher, everything went sideways. I'm having a hard time. If you're a saved child of God, then you know with confidence that no matter what it looks like, God still has a purpose and plan in all of it. I'm glad we've got a good God this morning. Let's preach a little bit, try to honor him today. Second Kings chapter number 20. I'd like to begin reading in verse number 1. Second Kings chapter 20. This is a story about the life of a king of Judah by the name of Hezekiah. Hezekiah had been really one of the better kings over the kingdom of Judah. And let's read a little bit about a time in his life when he was sick unto death and God delivered him. Second Kings chapter number 20, verse number 1. The Bible says, in those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then he turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up unto the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. And as Isaiah said, take a lump of figs, and they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. And Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me, that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day? And Isaiah said, this sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he hath spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees? Or go back ten degrees. And Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow to go down ten degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward ten degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahaz. Let's stop there and pray. Father, we love you and thank you for this opportunity today. A precious opportunity it is that we can come into the house of God, uh, hear the songs of Zion sung, hear the word of God preached. Lord, meet with your people, and most of all, to meet with you. I pray that these next few moments would be consecrated unto your will, your purpose, your ministry. Lord, I pray that we would open 
our hearts to the truth of Thy Word, Lord, and we would be willing and open to allow You to work in us that which would glorify You. Lord, there could be one under the sound of my voice that's lost, that's never been saved. I pray that they'd not leave here before they have cast themselves, Lord, like a like a broken ship upon the rock of Your refuge, that they, Lord, would quit depending on themselves, depending on dead religion, depending on self-righteousness, and instead look to Calvary and the finished work of Christ, that they might be saved before it's too late. Lord, we love You. We thank You for what You have done and will do. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In our text this morning, we read about a season in the life of Hezekiah, the king of Judah, in which he developed an illness or a sickness. Now, the Bible in no uncertain terms tells us in two different ways that Hezekiah, number one, he was sick unto death. And then, lest we just think that's hyperbole, that's just a figure of speech, God says explicitly to him, thou shalt die and not live. Rather than giving up, Hezekiah does that which he only knows to do. He turns to the Lord, both Literally and figuratively, he turns his back, turns to the wall, and begins to pray and to seek the Lord's deliverance. And God answers. I love the way the Bible says it. Afore he was, afore Isaiah was even in the middle court. That that that's good Bible language. Us, us hillbillies would say he didn't even have his coat on. Amen. Before he had even gotten out onto the front porch, God had already heard, delivered, and answered. And he uh, restores and heals Hezekiah. But not only does he heal Hezekiah, he adds to Hezekiah's life 15 years. Uh, I don't know about you, but I'm not promised 15 more years. I trust if the Lord's merciful and if Baptists don't get mad and run over me that I would live another 15 years. But I'm not promised 15 more years. Hezekiah, in other words, got more back than what he had lost. He was given the promise of 15 more years. In representation of this truth, God gives Hezekiah a sign, a remarkable thing. I can only really think of three times in the Scripture when God does something in regards to the Son. We find that He stopped the sun in the days of Joshua. We find that He uh, veiled the sun in the day when the Lord Jesus was crucified. But here in our text, God says, I'm going to make you a promise, Hezekiah. I will either speed up time, I will advance time 10 degrees on the sundial. That was their clock in that day. Or if you want, I will reverse time 10 degrees, whatever you choose. Hezekiah says, well, it'd be no big thing for it to go forward 10 minutes. When I get to heaven, me and him are going to talk about that. Sometimes, man, I've been in situations I sure wish I could have made it move forward 10 minutes. But he says it's no big deal for it to go forward 10 minutes. That's going to happen either way. But what a miracle it would be if it went backwards 10 degrees. And so just as God had rolled back the clock of Hezekiah's life, he likewise rolled back the sun in the sky. It reminds me of a turn of phrase that often we'll use. You may have known somebody that was sick, doctors had given up hope, expected that they'd be gone before long, and then God in His mercy healed them and raised them up. It may be sometimes we use this terminology. You know, the Bible says that three score and ten years are appointed unto man. In other words, if you're past 70, your shelf life has expired. That's what the Bible says. I didn't say that. The Bible says that. And sometimes we'll talk about people in those years of life, past 70 years, and we'll use a phrase. We'll talk about them as living on borrowed time. 
In other words, this isn't what is allotted to you. It is not what was expected by you. But God in His mercy has granted it to you. And you are living on borrowed time. I think when we read the story of Hezekiah's uh, miracle here in God delivering him, we cannot help but notice that he is... We could eat figs. I said, why in the world would we want figs? I don't have a real good relationship with figs. And we're not going to get into all of it. All I'm going to say is the only experience I've ever had with figs in my life as a child growing up was with Fig Newtons. Did you have a food growing up that your parents emotionally abused you with? (laughs) That you'd say, I'm hungry. And they'd say, well, we got this. Knowing good and well before the God of heaven that you wouldn't eat that because you thought it was gross. (laughs) Bologna and figs. Mom, I'm hungry. We got bologna. Now I'm old enough to say, woman, you know I won't eat that. (laughs) But back then, you know, you're a child and you're scared you're smaller than them. They can hurt you and... And so I'd just say, okay, I'm not hungry. Well, another thing, I'd say, I want a cookie. And they'd say, you can have a Fig Newton. See, even they knew it wasn't a cookie. (laughs) They didn't say, here's one, because they knew it wasn't a cookie. Dad loved them. I don't know what's wrong with him, but he loved them, still does. He'd say, you you can have a Fig Newton. I didn't want a Fig Newton. I don't have a good relationship with figs. And, you know, it's interesting when you study figs in the Bible, what they're representative of. There's a few places that they feature prominently. But, you know, there's one place in the New Testament that sticks out in my mind. Do you remember when Christ is walking by and he looks and beholds a fig tree and it's got all the leaves, all the outward evidence that would suggest that it should have had figs on it. But he goes and examines and looks, and behold, there are no figs there, and he curses that fig tree that it dies. Now, one of the reasons he did that is because God hates figs. But another reason <laughs> another reason that he did that, it was a picture of Israel as a nation. That though they had the outward vestiges of morality and righteousness, inwardly there was no fruit within them. Pictured Israel. So it tells me this. The figs, the fruit of the fig tree, what did it represent in the mind of Christ? Well, it represented genuine righteousness. True righteousness. Now, here's what God tells Isaiah. Take a lump of figs and put it on the source of the sickness. You know what God did when you and I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? He took genuine righteousness. Now, there's only one man that ever had truly innocent blood. Only one that was ever truly righteous. Only one whose name could be declared amongst the brethren. You know who that was? That was the Lord Jesus Christ. He did no sin. He knew no sin. In Him was no sin. And here's what God did. God took the righteousness of Christ and put it on the brokenness of my soul. He applied His righteousness in place of my sickness. And by the way, He took and became my sickness so that I could be His righteousness. So even the process is the same here, both in the prescription, the figs, and in the application, he laid it on the bull. But then the attention is turned to this miracle of the turning back of time. And I say this, it reminds me of my relationship with the Lord, how I got saved in his problem and his prayer, his pardon, the procedure, but also the portrait here. The Bible says in verse 8, Hezekiah said unto Isaiah, what shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? And that I shall go up into the house of the Lord the third day. And Isaiah said, This sign shalt thou have of the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he hath spoken. Shall the shadow go forward ten degrees or go back ten degrees? Hezekiah answered, It is a light thing for the shadow 
to go down 10 degrees. Nay, but let the shadow return backward 10 degrees. And Isaiah the prophet cried unto the Lord, and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backward by which it had gone down in the dial of Ahab. Say, preacher, now, why does that remind you of when you got saved? Well, because two things are happening here. You know, the Bible says that God made the Son do something that was against the nature of the Son to do. You know, in the Old Testament, the Bible calls the Messiah the Son, S-U-N, Son of Righteousness. Now, he is the Son, S-O-N, but also figuratively speaking in the Bible, He is the Son, S-U-N. You know, the Bible says that in that endless day, after all of the things, all of God's appointments on His calendars have been settled, we're living on a new earth and, and there's a new Jerusalem there. The Bible says in that day that there will be no sun nor moon nor stars, but that the Lamb is the light of that city. And what do we find that God did? And by the way, it's no, it's no accident that of the three times that God did something that literally moved the bodies of heaven, that all three of them in certain ways represent what He did for us uh, when He saved us. And, and the next time is on Calvary's hill. You remember when the Lord Jesus died for our sins, that as He was hanging upon the cross, He cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, uh, which uh, being interpreted as, My God, My God, why hast Thou forsaken Me? The Bible says this, that the sun was darkened. That darkness, Luke says, it fell over the face of the whole earth. So we know this wasn't just a, a, a lunar eclipse or, or, or some kind of solar eclipse. It fell over the, the whole earth. And the Bible says that in the midst of that darkness, he made that cry, why hast thou forsaken me? I think there's a deep connectedness between what we find in both of those places. What do we see in the New Testament and the Gospels? Well, we find God turning his back on his son, blotting out the son, and dealing with His Son in wrath for your sake and for my sake. What do we find in our text here today? Well, we find that there were two things that occurred. Number one, let me say this. What God did this day, it was an impossible thing. It was an impossible thing. It had never been heard of that time would roll backwards. Once before, God had stayed time's advance. But never before had it been rolled backwards like this. But you know, when God saved you and saved me, He did something no less impossible than when He turned back time. Uh, we think about this great miracle and we think about all the forces that had to occur for it to happen. But you know, when God talks about it, He talks about it in a casual, not incidental way, but just sort of, what do you want me to do, Hezekiah? What do you want me to do? I can roll it forward. I can roll it backwards. How much time you want? What do you want me to do, Hezekiah? I mean, just like it's no big deal. But you know, when He saved you and saved me, it wasn't something that God was able to just sit back and with no effort and with no, uh, with, with no excruciating pain and with, and with no suffering do. In fact, what it took was God being robed in flesh, born in a virgin's womb, walking amongst man, going to the cross of Calvary, betrayed by those that loved Him, rejected by those He had created, dying in your place and in my place on Calvary's hill. It was an impossible thing. But you know, the things that are impossible with men are possible with God. It's impossible for man to save you. It's impossible for you to save yourself. But it's not impossible for God to save you. And it was in many ways a greater, grander, as the songwriter said, the greatest of all miracles was when Jesus saved me. It was an impossible thing He did. You can't save you, but thank God that He made a way that you could be saved. It was an impossible thing. But then I thought about this. It was an unnatural thing. Now stop and think about what's occurring whenever the sun rises. The sun's always shining in its glory and brightness, but we are dwelling in the shadow. 
And what happens? The sun rises and, and the light overtakes the darkness. I don't want to get too much in the weeds. Here's what darkness is. Darkness is not a thing. It's an absence of something. We, we talk about darkness, but you know, you know why this world is so dark? Because it's absent of God. God's present in the world, but this world has rejected God. And, and people say, well, preacher, why if there's a God in heaven? Why is there so much wickedness and suffering and pain and heartache in this world? Because anywhere men reject God, there's going to be darkness. But when the sun rises, what does it do? It scatters the darkness, displaces and replaces it with the light. That's what it does. But now here's an interesting thing in this passage. We find the sun retreating and the darkness overtaking. You know, whenever Christ died on the cross of Calvary, He didn't become the Son of God when He was born. He didn't cease to become the Son of God when He hung on the cross of Calvary. But here's what He did. Willingly in obedience to His Father, rather than allowing the glory of His righteousness to blind the crowds around Him, here's what He did. He said, I'll be shrouded in darkness so that they might live in light. It was an unnatural thing to occur that day. And everything around Calvary is markedly unnatural in our observation. We find rocks rending when rocks are known for their stability. We find the earth quaking when though it does happen, it is an anomaly. We find graves bursting open, though we anticipate when we put someone in a grave, uh, that grave will be undisturbed unless we disturb it. We find the veil in the temple rending, not from the bottom up as though man had grabbed it, but from the top down in an impossible way. Everything about Calvary is unnatural to our human understanding. That's the reason the Bible says that uh, light came into the world, but darkness received it not. Men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. It was unnatural to them. And you know, when God saved you, He did something that was wholly unnatural to Him, that He might do something wholly unnatural in you. He did something that was supernaturally prompted and supernaturally carried out in his life that he might do something supernaturally prompted and supernaturally carried out in your life. You know, when you got saved, uh, you gave up the right to be normal. I'm serious. When you got saved, you you gave up the right to the status quo. You're a pilgrim and a stranger now. You're a changed individual. You've had a collision with Calvary. How could you remain unchanged by that? You see, what God did for him, God did for us. I had another whole three halves of a sermon to go here, but I don't think you can bear it this morning. So let me close just by saying this. Has this change happened in your life? Can you say truthfully, sincerely, I know that I've been born again. I've asked God to forgive me and save me. I know that he's given me new life. Now, I didn't ask if you were a superstar Christian. I didn't ask if you'd found a way to quit making mistakes because ain't none of us done that. But I asked you, is there a point in time you can go back to where you can say, you know, I remember bowing my heart before God and asking His forgiveness and I remember Him changing my life. Let me ask you a second question. I think most people in this room would say, yes, preacher, I've had that moment in my life. I, I anticipate that would be the case. But can I ask you this question? Are you walking in the light now? I, I, I might do a little preaching on it tonight. Come back if you're really curious. But my message was going to be on what we're doing with our borrowed time. What are you doing with the life that God has given you? What are you doing with the life that God has given you? You know, the sad, tragic reality of most of us is most of us got saved just to turn around and act normal. 
just try to blend in and pretend like nothing's different in our life. It's amazing. We ran hard as we could towards the Lord, and then we got saved and started running hard as we could back towards the world trying to make our life emulate, model, and look like the world, trying to dress like them and talk like them and behave like them and fit in with them. And, and we're, we're surprised and stunned by the fact that we're not effective and we're not content. I'd say this, man, when God saved you, He gave you a great, glorious honor. He gave you a life that was destined to destruction. What are you doing with it this morning? I hope you're doing something that counts for Christ. If you're not, I hope you'll come down and pledge, commit your heart to Him and ask Him to help you to live in a way that brings Him glory. Let's bow together this morning. As a musician comes to play, I invite you to come. God spoke to your heart. I want you to meet Him in this altar. Are you living up? Are you living up in light of what He did for you? It was an amazing thing when God saved you, when He saved me. (laughs) An impossible thing. An unnatural thing that He did. Does our life bespeak and bear witness to the great work of grace and glory that was done in it when God saved our soul? God bless this invitation. May it magnify the Lord Jesus. We ask it in His name.